You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. We are in the studio this morning. There is a full crew. It's a beautiful autumn morning and you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and with me I have Stephen Ryan of Dixonia Rare Plants, Millie Ross from Gardening Australia and Emma Hurd, Landscape Architect and Encouraging Women in Horticulture President. Good morning, everyone. I'm so excited. We're all in here. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? When you see people you haven't seen in a long time. I mean, admittedly, it's through a glass screen. Oh, yeah, and we've got bits of plastic. We're all in little bubbles here, yeah. but it's uh, it's still a lovely thing. And you're right, it's such a gorgeous morning out there. Mifka's tents are going up. I, I drove through. I was like, yeah. holy moly, yes, here we it's go. On the way. It's it on feels. The way. Um, Yes, after all that time. I know. It feels feels like old days a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. And how does everybody feel about the fact that, you know, two years have gone past since this whole thing sort of crashed down upon us? Mm. And in some senses it feels like it's been like that forever and in other ways it seems like only yesterday. Mm. It's really the weirdest sort of feeling that suddenly some things are coming back to normal like Mifkus and yeah. you know, events are starting to happen, tours are starting to go ahead. Yeah, but it's been such a big shift in how so many things happen and mm. and how how we value so many things i think gosh we've all learned i we were we were kind of talking at, at the end of last year at work and and uh and talking about how well everyone's learned to manage disappointment <laughs> <laughs> and it was like this this really it just this new skill we've all developed where yeah. you can oh, well, sort of it go might have, yeah. might have been good you know <laughs> And it's actually good. I mean, we, we kind of have to learn that when we're little kids. But mm. to learn it all as adults again, I think, yeah. has probably done us some good. And, and plans changing oh. so quickly. I think disappointment and changing plans. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. You, you do have to be able to be on your feet and ready, don't you? Because it, you just never know what's coming next. Yeah. And sometimes so. reorganising the same event Two or three years in a row. Oh, goodness, yes. Absolutely. And, I mean, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? It is It is lovely to see things happening. I mean, even the Rising Festival, we were just talking in the car down. It's like, oh, that's finally going to happen again. You know, yeah. this thing that was going to be this reimagining of Melbourne is, you know, it didn't happen. And Mifkus, I mean, I know 
it's 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 not for everybody, but it is for gardening. Yeah. And um, to have that not happen two years in a row is is quite a big thing. And I think you know we've got that lovely benefit mm. of being outside for most of our events. Yeah, um, I'm going to Bendigo next week for an event, and you just think, holy moly, how many people are going to? But it's mm. outside. I'm taking my first tour away. Oh my god! Starting tomorrow morning. Holy moly! Uh, that I you know and. and I'd got sort of into the habit of at least once or twice a year going overseas, leading a tour to France or yeah. or going somewhere, and I haven't been able to do any of that for the last two years. So the company I work for is starting really small, so we're doing the pastoral history and maritime history of the Western Districts of Victoria sure. as of tomorrow morning with Australians studying abroad. So. We'll be going and looking at some of those fabulous Western District gardens, which will be great. We're going to Nareen and Del Viewy and quite a few of those sort of gardens. And a sticky beak of the beautiful prop, like the houses there oh, too. Yeah. Oh, it's just yeah. glorious. You get scones at every single one, don't yeah, you? Yeah, well, I, I so. think yeah. so. I think that's the way it works. Um, and there's probably corgis running everywhere. Um, no doubt. Yeah, so it's going to be great fun. And uh, we've got a booked up tour. I think everybody's getting really elated by the idea. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so the company started small. So we're doing the Western District. Uh, towards the end of April, I'm doing a Macedon Rangers one. So we're, we're going to be do, mainly concentrating on Mount Macedon itself, but we'll be doing David Glenn's garden um, uh, over at Ascot. We'll be doing Simon Rickart's garden in Trentham. Um, and so and we've got another one in Lionville we're visiting, which I put on my YouTube channel a couple of months ago, a garden called Reverie, which is really quite unique and interesting. Um, so, so we've got that happening um, towards the end of April and hopefully towards the end of the year we're off to Wildflowers of Western Australia. <sighs> Fingers oh, crossed. Yes. Oh, I know. Yeah, it was so, it was pretty gutting watching it happen uh, down on Instagram lens last year, wasn't it? Like yeah, yeah. best in thirty years. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, they had all that rain and the flowers saying. were stunning and we couldn't go. I had this great chat to John Colwell, who was a um former he was like an original ABC yeah. gardening presenter back in the day. I forget what his the West Australia show was yeah, called. I don't remember what it was called either. But um he was so fantastic and he was great. He just kept playing it down every time we spoke because he was like, you know, it yeah. was like but he's life, going, yes, it's fantastic. life changing. He's like, no, 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 it's not that good actually. They're yeah. talking it up. <laughs> it's like, thanks, mate. Well, hopefully thanks. it'll be good again this year because we've had rains yeah. again, um, you know, cool summer rains in the west. So hopefully in September it, when we're ready to go, it'll be good again. It's, it's, mm. it's a, it's a, it's a. Look, it's a strange thing, isn't it, if you're a gardener? And, like, so there's been quite a bit of fire around the southwest um, mm. this summer. My brother is about half an hour south of Margaret River. Oh, right. And, the, mm. and so between their property um, and the coast is all bush and the fire, they had to evacuate their property. But there's, a, there's actually an orchid that I've been going to look at the leaves of pretty much every year for the last <laughs> the 15 of. years. Because oh, it's, no. I know, up this one track, and I'm like, one day I know you're going to flower. And do you know when it's going to flower? Mm. This year. Yeah. Because I know the fire's been through that whole area. And so there's this, you know, it's that double edged sword if you're a gardener. I'm like, you know, it was the fires were at a, you know deliberately lit. In, oh, you know, they ripped yeah. through the most beautiful barren up forest. But you know, the other side of that is that there's a lot of weed issues there. If they can get in and manage them post fire, perhaps they could yeah. get on top of them. But also, there'll be some things flowering. So yeah, I might see you there. You never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah. Well, so I'm looking forward to all that, and then hopefully next year we'll get back to our other tours because we are doing supposedly Spain. Actually, I'm going to be overseas for 
weeks on weeks on weeks because we're doing a Spanish tour in May. We've got a week off after the end of the Spanish tour, and then we pick up the um, Northwest France tour straight after that for another three weeks. Oh, that sounds awful. So I'll be away for at least seven weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, getting back to, well, the Spanish one I haven't done before, so that's really exciting. But the Northwest France has sort of become our thing. And we've done it many times, my partner and I. And it's sort of great in one sense, although you're going back to the same place, so it's not like a holiday. Mm. Um, but you're catching up with all these gardening friends, all these all these owners of fabulous properties and gardens, and they welcome you like a long-lost relative when you arrive because you've been there before. Mm. And... Uh, you've got to watch that you don't just get carried away and you and the owner wander off into the distance and forget you've got 23 people with you uh, because it's sort of like going back home. You you both do um, tours, local and international. Mm. How do you both go about preparing for them? Oh, well, we probably both go at it in different ways. Yeah, I'm I'm very seat in my pants. Look, I I don't do it as much, Chloe, just because I... I've found it quite challenging to have the time mm. and space to do it, like yeah. because it's not my work. Yeah. I sort of have to take yeah. time from my work. So I feel like it's something I'll do in the future. I found fa- I found it quite challenging actually mm. preparing well. But I mean, what I what I love about it is the twenty three people on the bus, because yeah. they really can be from everywhere. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, it's quite a challenge sometimes managing twenty three different be. personalities. <laughs> And different sets of needs and different interests. Yep. Also, when it comes to going to gardens, because you kind of you want to know a little bit of different stuff about, you know, you need to know the garden and the plants, but also you need to know a little bit about the people and what they might be interested yeah. in. Like, it, to it help certainly helps. Point them in the direction yeah. that they want to go. And you'll so, find that out in the first couple of days. Well, you normally do, yeah. uh, whilst you're still trying to get people's names in your yeah. head yeah. <laughs> in the tour. That's always an issue for me because I'm not great with people's names, so it takes me a while to get their, their names Do you assign my... them a plant each? No. I you should. Yeah. Like if it's mm, Patricia, you know, yeah. you could be Penicetum Patricia. Yeah. And then I think you'd remember their well, names. Well, that might help. Yes, <laughs> well, I might do that actually. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, no, you have to find this plant. Oh, no, that's no. Just... No, that's too hard. That's too hard. Barbaria, Barbara. But Barbara, it, yeah. It can be... Look, it can, I am a bit like Millie, I guess, in some ways, because... Because my plant knowledge is reasonably good, I, I am inclined to fly by the seat of my pants a little bit as well. But I always do a little bit of background study on where we're going because yeah. particularly if we're going into Europe, I mean, I'm not a great history buff. but yeah. And the company we work for, ASA, are always very good at making sure people have these great tomes of information anyway. So if you're going to northwest France, there'll be a, a, a huge big booklet that you'll get that will talk about the wines of the district, it'll talk about the cheeses of the district, yeah. uh, <clears throat> it'll talk about the French kings, it'll talk about uh, Le Notre and all the different sort of landscape design things that mm. went on in France. So what I try and do is find some really weird and interesting facts that I can throw in at appropriate times. Yeah. Like when we were in France, we, we were in a town, um, a lovely little historic town with half timber buildings and just, just beautiful. And one of the King Henrys of England had actually died in that town by 
overeating a particular type of fish, which can be really bad for you if you eat too much of it. So he'd had a surfeit of this particular fish, and I can't even remember what it was called now. But I found this whole diatribe about <laughs> how he died in uh, in this little village, and we we're all sitting down to lunch. Um, and I then went into my spiel about Henry dying in this very village over lunch. <laughs> so they're the Gosh. sort of things I look for that, you know, are sort of quirky and, and different and, you know, yeah. entertaining hopefully and uh, and will engage people in where they are. Yeah, it is. It's such an interesting – look, I, I just think found, have found it so much fun and so fascinating being with different people and, and often older, older people, you know, there's not – I had um, – I was lucky enough to have uh, one – member of my crew when we travelled to France and Italy, must be three or four years ago now, who was under 30. Uh, and it was amazing. She was, she was, and she was a pharmacist. So she was my oh, doctor on wow. the bus. And she did say to me once, she went and had a look in someone's suitcase when they went well, she said, if you want anything, and I mean anything, <laughs> we, we <laughs> I still it got it. <laughs> but it's, yeah, some uh, people carry a whole pharmacy. Oh, they carry the whole oh. lot. But it was, um, yeah, it's such a great thing. And uh, the things I've often really enjoyed is just the really casual moments that happen and the, and the little walk around the town. Like, yep. so you've got the formal gardens, there's all this information. Information, but often the most interesting gardening conversations happen when you're just actually having a walk and an explore yeah, and looking at what the people are doing. The shrubs hanging over somebody's feet. Of course, yeah. of you course. Know, that yeah. can be just as exciting in lots of ways as going yeah. into the big formal gardens. So. But it's, I mean, it's so great that you're having that experience of doing some mm. local tours, but also people are getting to do that with you because I, I think, you know, you could drop me off anywhere basically and I would find it interesting. Yeah. I'd mm. find someone to chat to. I'd find something interesting in a garden or in a not garden, but mm. it's just happening yeah. Yeah. Um, that I could learn, learn, learn from. So I think it's it, you know it is such a such a special thing to get to do it yeah. with other gardeners. Yeah, and yeah, you've got a group of people who are all basically like-minded. Uh, they've gone on a tour for a specific yeah. purpose, yep. uh, so they all know why they're there, uh, and so they're all engaged with yep. what's going on. And, of course, when you go – I mean, I'd always been a bit of a knocker of tours because we're always the sort that will jump on a plane, go to some exotic mm. place, hire a car, and then basically bugger off for three Disappear. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and I'm still happy to do that sort of yeah. stuff. But when you go on a tour like that, I mean, you often get into places that is individual you'd never get into because yeah. it's all got to mm. be organised mm. and, you know, mm. the owner's got to know you're coming and all that sort of stuff. You get the the owner themselves there to talk to you as well. And often you do things like have morning tea in the Great Hall uh, on the, on the, you know, the Spode dinner set mm. with mm-hmm. the Waterford crystal glasses and the, and the whole shebang. Um, when normally you'd be eating a baguette out of the back of the yeah, car. Exactly. Yeah, from the you know. <laughs> and so, you know, it's that whole experience thing. And uh, so I think that, that particularly garden tours are fantastic because you do and, – and you can get so much more in. I mean, if you're faffing around like Craig and I have a tendency to do, um, you'll miss things because you didn't know they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you'll arrive and find that the place was closed and, you know, you can't get in now, um, like I did at the Chelsea Physic Garden once. Um, <laughs> and um, – there's always know, a hole in the fence if you Google it. Yeah, yeah. So they're, all, they're all marked now. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to find it yourself. Yeah, oh, goodness me. But, yeah, so the tours are great fun and, um, you know, I'm glad that they're sort of 
yeah. quietly starting again and getting themselves sort of organised. Mm. And I have to say, two companies were one of those groups of people that got so hard hit by the oh, pandemic. Completely. I'm surprised that some of them are still managing to keep afloat because it's been an awful two years. Absolutely. Absolutely awful. If they didn't have bricks and mortar, maybe they had a slightly... Um, you know, more manageable mm. time. But, yeah, like mm. all the, I mean, travel agents, Tourism. all of their staff, all the young staff who've mm. been, you know, that's that's what oh, they've done. Been awful. It's, so. it's been nice seeing, um, you know, visiting a few garden clubs and doing a few talks again and just seeing gardeners come back together. Yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, there's no doubt gardeners like to talk about gardening. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds <laughs> me, I've mentioned this before, but the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society, 100 years this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, so this is our centenary year. Oh. And if people are interested in events all through April, we've got a okay. series of events going on, starting with our local competitive flower show on the last weekend in March and going right through basically to the end of April. We've got uh, we've got a seminar coming up with Michael McCoy, Simon Rickard and myself. Um, uh, so the Three Musketeers are going to do a, <laughs> uh, a talk on their practices, principles and philosophies and we'll have a go at each other about, you know, things and it'll be quite an exciting day. We've got three workshops coming up. I'm doing one on plant propagation. We've got one on floristry and we've got one on making things out of garden waste. So, you know, using your grape bits to to make beautiful sort of sculptural elements Mm. for the garden. Um, We've got an art show, Botanic Art Show coming up, which will start on the first weekend in April and it'll be for three weekends and the Tuesdays between will be um, uh, sort of an open studio day where where some of the artists will be there working and you can go in and talk to the artists on the Tuesdays. Um, And, um, yeah, we've got a... We've got so many good botanic artists that are sort of linked up with the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society. Um, we have a surfeit of artists, in fact. Um, so some really internationally acclaimed botanic artists will be exhibiting their works and they'll be for sale. Um, so we've got oodles of things coming up over this autumn period. Um, is it sort of tied to the Autumn Festival as well? In the yeah, it's sort of, yes, sponsor- it's, it's yeah, sort of tied in with the Autumn Festival that great. the local Macedon Ranger Shire Council sort of initiated. Trying to get it off the ground. Yeah. No, that's a great thing to have yeah, included. So, yeah. yeah, so this will hopefully be an annual event. Yep. Uh, but we decided in our 100th year that it was a, a very appropriate time to have a crack at getting something like this off the ground. Yeah. And uh, if anybody's interested, they should go into the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Society website, go into the events section in the website. It's all fairly straightforward. It'll lead you down to all of the events that are happening through April because there's too many times and dates and and different costs and things involved to go through them here. Um, But they're all listed there. You can book via try booking. uh, So you can just book a ticket to whichever event you're interested in. Um, And of course, you can make a drive up there to have a look at the art show over those first three weekends in, in April or on the two Tuesdays in between. Fantastic. Um, so we've got oodles going on. That is that is so much going on. Oh, that's, yeah, I'm trying awesome. to get my head around it. The it's, world is a bit busy, actually, yeah. post. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's a oh, lot of catching oh, up there's, to do. Oh, there's a, oh no, oh, that's a weekend in seven weeks we could maybe have a cup yeah. of tea. Yeah. <laughs> our, our lives have been on hold for two years, raring to go. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. It, it takes so much organisation oh. to put on these things and for something that's volunteer run. Yep. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's been quite a uh, a challenge, and I'm hoping that you know all of the sessions and seminars and other things will get uh, at least enough people booked to make it worth our while to run them. Um, we have decided we're prepared to um, wear some loss if needs be to keep mm. some of the events going because you know we see this as a really important event and sometimes the first time you run something you don't make an awful lot out of it yeah. um, but you know if they can be even revenue neutral we'd be really pleased and um, I think we've got a pool of talent up there that's pretty remarkable so mm. um, yeah so I'm really pleased with it and uh, hopefully as the president of the club uh, I'll see our hundredth year through um, with some really interesting events going on so Fantastic. Very exciting Onward stuff. Onward and upward, Mr. President. <laughs> yes. Well, that was actually the the school motto of Kyneton High School. Was it? Onward and upward. We didn't even use Latin because we didn't know it existed. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, uh, are you still the president of the society? Yes. Are you I'm... getting a bit Putin? Uh, like, do we have to worry I, about No, no, you needn't yeah. worry about that because if – I would always fight for my position if I felt somebody was stepping in who wouldn't do the job terribly well. But if I felt there was somebody who was reasonable talent, I'd step back tomorrow. I don't have a problem. But I've been president since I was 19, so I'm wondering where that person is. (laughs) Yeah. I've been a life member since I was 19. I've been and I've been president basically from from the age of 19 right through. I was at the 50th birthday party of the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Society because I joined as a 10-year-old. Uh, so I was actually at the dinner oh, for their 50th is... anniversary. Oh, um, I'm sure there's a Guinness Book of Records something in there. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure it, we've got I'm to make sure. up something for that. Yeah, 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 I don't know what it's all about. But, look, I love our club. When I joined the club as a 10-year-old, it was – five or six hoary old gardeners that used to sit around and talk about the next flower show coming up and that mm. was it. They didn't mm. have guest speakers. They, you know, they were all gardeners. They didn't need guest speakers. They mm. knew everything they thought. Um, and so there, there was a financial statement and a treasure and the treasurer's report. And, uh, and, and why I stuck with it as a 10 year old, I have no idea. Cause you'd been dropped off and you had to be, no, no, I was with dad. Picked up. I was no, dad, dad was there. You had to wait for someone to come and get you anyway. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I've been involved with that club and, and it was right. quite literally a little handful of people. We now have the best part of 200 uh, members. We regularly get 60 or 80 people at a meeting. Mm. Um, we've got a fantastic library. We've got a really good facility. Um, it's a big role though. Have you ever had many people express interest in taking on such a role? I did have somebody try and roll me once. Oh. Uh, who many years ago we had somebody try to roll me who thought that they could do a better job, but what they didn't realise was they hadn't done enough proper lobbying to actually get themselves elected in, mm-hmm. uh, and so it became a bit of a debacle and a bit of an embarrassment, in fact, because oh. uh, we had to have a um, uh, uh, a vote which we haven't had to do for donkey's years. Uh, so everybody had to write down their favourite on a piece of paper, and so it was yeah. a. a, a hidden vote nobody knew who was voting for who except for the fact that when the votes were counted there was about three for the other candidate so you could work out who <laughs> they were it was in. her her husband and somebody and else <laughs> i think the one who seconded her nomination uh, <laughs> so um but you know those things happen and look if she'd been able to do a good job i wouldn't have cared but um yeah, she she decided i wasn't doing a good job and you know <sighs> 
I no, I'm know. not going to do that. You know that a good job can be quite different to the other person's good job. Yes. Well, it can be. Yes, yeah. it can be. <laughs> That's um, true. Just a different job. Yeah, but I, I have to say, I think my track you... record's not bad considering what we've been able to do with the club That's over incredible. the last fifty years. So mm. yeah, it's... you'll get some sort of crown or something. I mean, I'm not sure what they give <laughs> you. Is it a crown of you should get a crown? Or a, crown. a crown, yeah. you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it'll well, be I've, something. I've I've got all sorts of other things that have come my way, probably partially due to that. Oh, no, not the beard of flowers. I'd have to grow my beard longer to start with. Yeah, I think you'd struggle yeah. to get anything in there. Yeah, I could probably get a few briar fights in there. And some, they, some bindies. Yeah, we see, could stick uh, a few bindies. A bindy would you. some Talanthias on your ear. A yeah. Plumbago would stick too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, some sticky willy actually, yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Cleavers, yes. We've had this long negotiation at home that I shouldn't have planted Bidgewidgee in the garden. Yeah, well, I and I'm like, imagine. I love it. I love it. You know, it's oh. so tough. It's so yeah. beautiful. The other day, my friend came around and she's got this little dog. Oh Mothra. no, the and little Mothra, dog! Mothra, Mothra came, you know, came toddling in the house, and she had one single seed pod. It had stuck to the side of her face, so her mouth was actually glued shut. <laughs> just with it, and I was like, "All right, Mothra, you get the final say." Although yeah. I can't hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll pull it out. Yeah, I have to say, it is one of those plants that I remember as a child. Um, must have been my mother's worst nightmare because as kids we used to collect the seed heads and make a huge ball oh, out of them. It's a great idea. And then we'd play catch. And if somebody missed catching it when it came in, it'd go poof on their chest and you would end up with bidgey widgey seeds all over you and you could spend hours, hours trying to get them horrendous. out. See, I, yeah, it gives you twice the fun. Yes, you sort of pick them out was. of your socks. We, but... used to, we used to have a lot of fun with those plants. But, uh, yeah, so um, I was going to say, though, what, the one thing that has come my way, and I haven't really sort of said much about it on this program, so I probably should, um, uh, the Royal Horticultural Society of Victoria, um, also a very august organisation and has been going around for a lot longer than 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they've had their sesquicentenary. Um, um, I'm now the patron. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so there you go. Are they, do you get a crown here? for that one? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I think I, I get, get to do more basket. work. get a hanging basket. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so Jane Edmondson had been the patron for many yeah. years and Jane decided she wanted to um, step back a little bit, which is fair enough. We all get to a point in life where we want to do other things or take life a little quieter. Mm. And so she had warned the society that she wanted to retire so they needed to go out and find a replacement. Mm, and somehow or another my name must have come up in the conversation. So I'm now the august patron of the Royal Horticulture Society. What does one have what to do it? as a patron? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it depends involved? on the organisation. Uh, obviously your name is used on in- anything and everything, you know, so if you've got a name that they think is going to be of use to them, then your name gets thrown in on all sorts of things. And a patron should always have some sort of profile uh, to be a useful patron. Mm. Uh, so you get that. And I guess I'll get to, I don't know, cut ribbons, be it. <laughs> Be it major I events, hope so. uh, all I that hope sort of stuff. Can you perform a jig at some events or something? You know? Oh, Emma, yeah. no, let's not get Come carried on. away here. Yeah. Um, I've got two left feet, so that would be a really, really unattractive look. Oh. So let's not go down that one. It but yes, not... I'll be at you know seminars and things. And yeah. um, your presence yeah. is is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just be present. That that, that works for me. So <laughs> <Lovely>. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the Royal Horticultural Society, I think, is 
is mm. a somewhat hidden treasure, actually. People don't realise just how important a, a voice for amateur horticulture can be, mm. and that's exactly mm. what the Royal is. Um, they produce a really good quarterly gazette, um, which has got some really good writing in yeah. it. Jane's still writing for it and does it's interesting really articles. That's a good little gazette. I think mm. it's really fantastic. Mm. Actually, anybody who's a member of the Royal, there is an article written by my partner in the latest gazette about all of the different events coming up at Macedon. So you could also go into it via that way. Mm. So it's all in there with some some of the images of the botanic art. So mm. we probably we probably should move on, Chloe. And well, that's stuff. all right. Chloe, <laughs> Chloe's been giving you the eyes for a little no. while, and it's, I just said to Emma earlier, I was like, we're not going to have to do anything today because Millie and Steve are in the studio. We haven't seen we're each other in ages. Yeah, that's right. I'm just sitting back pushing buttons here, so that's fine. <laughs> it's fantastic. There's, there's a couple more community announcements I just ah, want to get yeah. to, it. and Emma, you're up next. Uh, there's a botanic art exhibition uh, run by the Geelong School of Botanical oh, Art, yes. which fall oh. under the Geelong Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens um, group. They're, it's their seventh exhibition. The theme is Inspired by Nature. There's over 70 pieces being exhibited. It's at the Deakin University Waterfront Campus down in Geelong. From, it started on the 5th of March till the 1st of April, so there's still a couple of weeks to go. Tuesdays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So lots of little trips and stuff going yeah, on. At the moment. That's actually something I should have mentioned because my partner Craig is actually involved with that and uh, um, they have some fantastic artists mm. down around Geelong. So the botanic art down there is fabulous. So definitely, art. definitely worthwhile a trip yeah. down there. Yeah. Mm. Emma, what have Encouraging Women in Horticulture got coming up? There's a few things. Yeah, so um, in in the coming months in May, we're having a mushroom growing webinar. So um, as a bit of a hangover from COVID, I, we're still I'm having... a fun guy. Can I come? <laughs> <laughs> you certainly can. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> There's always one. Yeah, there, and it's me. <laughs> Particularly when you're talking about a women's event. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Often there's two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, so Sorry, Emma. Oh, that's fine. Um, we don't have full details of this event just yet. We're still planning it, but there will be details coming up on our website, our Instagram and our Facebook. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. And then in June, on Tuesday the 7th, we'll be going to visit NGIV's Trade Day. Uh, so it's a good introduction to those maybe entering the horticultural landscape industry that want to experience Trade Day without having to sign up to NGIV's membership. Um, so for those that don't know, NGIV is the nursery and garden industry of Victoria and they host a Trade Day once a month um, where lots of wonderful wholesale mm. nurseries present their stock to the retail nursery industry and uh, landscapers alike. So that will be a good opportunity um, we'll have more details about that on our website as well. And a couple of other things that aren't encouraging women in horticulture. Mm. Um, it's not that they discourage women in horticulture, no, I hope. No, no, just, no. just different events. So um, there's open studios in the Dandenong Ranges coming up from uh, the, thir- the 2nd and 3rd of April. And then we've got open studios in Nilambic. As well. So lots of different artists will be presenting their works. The one in Nilambic is from Saturday the 30th of April through to Sunday the 1st of May. Um, And the wonderful thing about these open studios is that 
a lot of them are botanical artists, but also a lot of them have wonderful plant nurseries around them also. <laughs> so it's a great opportunity <laughs> to take a road trip. Yeah. And see botanical artists, there's glass artists, there's metal artists, there's sculpture workers, and they're all, you know, presenting their wares and showcasing them. And you can probably find some plants along the way too. I have to say open studios are fabulous because you do get a chance to actually talk to the artist. Mm. You often get a chance to see how they create. How they do it. Yeah, Yeah. which I think is fascinating, not being particularly good with my hands Mm. in that sort of way. I love to see how... Uh, an artist creates a painting or, or makes a, a sculpture or, or whatever. It's fabulous. Last week we went to, uh, on a long weekend, went to visit Marilyn Sprague up at Marilyn's Wildflower Nursery and ah, yes. Garden in, in Bendigo. And next door to Marilyn is, is a fantastic metal worker. Yeah. And so mm. I bought these incredible, they're very, very simple. And, I, and I, I could see my Bobby, like he's got these incredible kinetic sculptures made mm. out of steel. But, of course, I bought the... Um, gas bottles converted into planters, which are, <laughs> which are beautiful things. But, um, yeah, you know, you sort of walk into someone's studio when, mm. when you're looking at this beautiful thing that moves in the wind and it's as light as a feather that's made out of metal and you think, oh, gosh, how do you do yeah. that? And you walk into, it's like, you know, it's like walking into Willy Wonka's uh, factory sometimes <laughs> when you walk into the studio of someone who mm. does something quite complicated. But mm. um, It's fabulous. It is yeah. fabulous. We'll keep going in a second. I need to remind people if they're just tuned in a little bit late, they might have had a bit of a sleep in, that they are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and if you haven't recognised the other voices in the studio with me this morning, we have Stephen Ryan of Dixonia Rare Plants, Millie Ross from Gardening Australia, and Emma Hurd, landscape architect and encouraging women in horticulture. I always feel a bit weird that you say I'm from Gardening Australia. I just feel like I'm from me. <laughs> you know, do you feel like that? I mean, you've got your nursery. Yeah, That's where yeah, people well, can find you. It's like it's not a place. From Kindon, yes. We don't yes. tell anyone where I live, actually. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, well, that's a bit late then. That's no, <laughs> all right. 3CR yeah. will keep it zipped. Yeah. We never say specifically. It's it's just a bit of a, mm. you know, I mean, you know you have a, a garden that you open, but when yeah. you are a public person and you f- make television at your home, the less specific about where that home is located. Yes. <laughs> it's sort of like, Otherwise, you've got people staring over the fence while the film crew Well, you do there. anyway. Yeah, so. you're, you're, you're bound to. It is a lovely just part of the world. Knocking thing. on the door. Yes. Yes. Hi. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, saw you later. <laughs> right. oh, oh. I must open up the phone lines. Oh, what a good idea. If they want to yeah. um, have any questions for us, want to have a chat, the number is O. F- what am I talking about? 94198155. Oh, <laughs> Our text message line is running too, so it's 0488 809 855. Now, we do have a lot of podcasters that may not be able to call in the show when we're on the air, so you can send us an email if you ever have any questions. Our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. So our phone number is 94190155. Give us a call and say hello. You were nearly going to give your own phone number out then. <laughs> my, my home address, <laughs> Chloe's phone number. Yeah, yeah. what a good <laughs> idea. We'll both see you both this We'll see you all this week <laughs> yes. for a cup of tea. It's yeah, uh, <laughs> We've got a lot of plans I have on the got Let's go, Millie. I go tell first. you, like, you know, like we're coming into this season. There's so many things that are happening. It's such a great time to plant. I don't know oh, about yeah. you, but I, I, was, I was like, I literally woke up itching to put things in the ground. I think 
Monday morning, long weekend, and yeah. I knew the rain was coming, the soil was warm. I was like, this is the week. Mm. But there's so many fantastic things going on at the moment. One that I'm a, a little bit privy to, and it's the reason I brought this little plant in, and I brought it in just to talk about the topic more than anything. So this is a little... Um, it's a little aquatic plant or kind of marginal plant, I guess. Quite a cosmopolitan little thing. Um, it's related to the water ribbons, which people might know, the water ribbons, which it's it's got to be one of my favourite native water plants. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the way it tells me what the river's doing. Mm. You know, you can stand and you see, okay, so the water's really still there and it's just sort of flat in every direction. Yeah. And then there you can see the water's moving. and the, the, the Well, it used to be called Truglock and it's now, I think, Cinegeton, I think that's had a name change. Anyway, so this is a triglocan. It's Mm. striata. It's a little, I think I had to look up its common name because I never know them, streaked arrow grass, but it occurs really widely in Australia, um, all around Victoria, all over the world, as a lot Mm. of aquatic plants seem to be quite cosmopolitan, Mm. you know, like many of of those, like even loosestrife that we, we love here in Victoria and Australia, it occurs in many parts of the world. But... I put this in my little pond. So this is one that I keep potted. But uh, last year, and it was on the telly because that's my weird job, is when I want to do something a bit interesting, I normally have to put it on the telly. So that means you've got to wait till the film crew arrives. Oh, <laughs> mate. It's in, yeah, it's a disaster. But anyway, so I made a little pond in the garden. I just, I just have always... I guess not having space for a proper in-ground pond, mm. but I've always wanted to grow more water plants. And I think it's a really great way to instantly increase your variety of plants you can grow is bringing some water into the garden, you know. It doesn't matter whether it's in a courtyard or in a big garden where you have space to have a big pond. Mm. Um, I always wanted to have a pond, but, of course, when you, you know, the problem of bringing a pond into the garden is that you're also bringing a a mosquito-ridden problematic environment in some some ways. You can. You absolutely can. So I went down this track of trying to work out how I could resolve that. So the pond is just in a an old bathtub, big old cast iron bathtub. Um, it's got a little deck over the top so the chickens can actually hop up onto the deck and have a drink if they want. So I, I wanted it to serve that purpose as well. Um, and I, anyway, I went down the track of not wanting to put goldfish in my pond mm. because they are just an in, introduced fish. Mm. I know that I live in a place that I'm relatively close to quite a few natural waterways. You know, if you know, you've got the fish. So I went looking for native fish. And I've got to tell you, it was one of the trickiest things I've ever had to do because it's really hard to find native fish. Like it doesn't matter which aquarium you're ringing, there's a handful of species, one that can be outdoors. But anyway, I ended up my trail making a cheeky phone call to someone who works for Parks and Gardens in Bendigo because I read an article about the reintroduction of pygmy perch up there Mm. and and met uh, a fantastic fish breeder and... Creating this little pond. So what I did was I managed to get some southern pygmy perch, which are an endangered fish, right, Mm -hmm. native in Victoria. And the breeder that I got onto, she said, oh, I have to send you the right genetic strain. So there's, oh, I know these amazing things wow. that, uh, yeah. So in of this this little endangered fish, pygmy perch. So it's really pond suited, cold water suited, eats mosquitoes. Ooh. Like they, I think you know, I need tomorrow, some. I think I need some. Doesn't eat I many. Need to talk to you. We'll eat some frog larvae, but not really much. So very very frog friendly as far as um, having them in a pond. And you know, I went down this rabbit hole of communicating with all these guys about native fish. So Chris is from like I never. Everyone asked me 
me when it was on the telly. Where did I get the fish? And I didn't tell too many people because mm. she doesn't need a national television yeah. audience ringing. No. Fair but enough. Chris from Middle Creek Farm is on Facebook. Yeah. And she now, she breeds all sorts of endangered fish. She's been working on the purple spotted gudgeon, which mm. they found a population of about 60 fish in Kerrang. They thought it was ex- extinct since the 80s. And they've been breeding and reintroducing Fantastic. these fish. So this week, they are reintroducing more of the southern pygmy perch into the Bendigo Creek and some of the other areas around Bendigo that they've been rehabilitating for now about a decade. And there's a very big, long future project for rehabilitating oh, that fabulous. creek. Used to be known as the Chain of Ponds. Then gold mining happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jaja Warung are very heavily involved as well. But look, I just, it was such an interesting sort of, you know, those little journeys. You start mm. thinking, oh, this is a simple thing. Yes. It and then be you a spend problem. all of this time. So you, with, the, with the southern pygmy perch as a fish, there's, I think there's three or four genetic strains one south of the ranges, one north of the mm. ranges, and then one right in the east, sort of Gippsland. And she's got all the genetic strains. She says, in my river, in my town, it's the wrong genetic strain because. They used to bring them up as fishing bait. Fishermen would fish with them as a live bait and just release them. So she says, there's some in your river, but they're from over here. Oh. Is this just incredibly, oh, incredibly fascinating, you know, <laughs> yeah. people who are interested in everything. So, yeah, I, I love this little plant. It is such a pretty little thing, lovely, vertical, um, just ribbon-like foliage. Like, I don't know if people have seen the, the water ribbons flower. The water ribbons itself yeah. floats its foliage yeah, on the surface the, the... and they're lovely big spires. Yeah. But this is just the loveliest little spire and I've got it sitting in the pond actually growing in an old chimney pot. Uh-huh. So it holds it because it's a marginal plant. It doesn't want to be submerged. So it sits the pot um, as a surface. But I just think it's such a lovely little plant. But also it was this lovely, lovely gateway for me into meeting this whole group of people who are doing something fantastic and obsessive and nuanced but also that window into why aren't there more little local fish available for mm. our ponds? And yep. she will post them to you, actually. Well, I need like, them. You I've need got a them. big pond. It's got no fish in it. It's got no fish. See, they're no. looking for habitat. For... Well, I've got no fish in my pond. Uh, you should um, uh, why? And I've been, Because I left it for the frogs. I, I, yeah. I, I decided way back that, in fact, um, if I was going to have any fish in there at all, they had to be frog-friendly, so I wasn't going to put goldfish yeah. in. Uh, you certainly wouldn't put trout in. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, I did try trout for a wee while, and that's what t- turned me into, no, I'm not going to bother again, because they were doing fine, and I'd got them up to almost edible size, and then we had a stinking hot week or two, and they all bellied up and floated to the surface wow. and died because it got too warm, even though yep. the pond is two metres deep. Yep. They were sitting up near the top and they got too warm and died. And I thought, no, I'll leave it for the frogs. And I have thousands of tadpoles in it every year. Oh, it's fantastic. Fabulous. Um, but I have been thinking about trying to get a small fish that could go in the pond. Well, so. some, are, some of the populations, are, like they've actually been looking for private places, yeah. farm dams and places to start to... Get bigger oh, fish well, stocks. I'll I've put you one. in. Put, yeah. put, put you in touch. Please, with please do. It's um yeah. uh, the beautiful thing when I went to meet um Mark who looks after the natural areas in Bendigo, he was showing me one of the areas they'd revegetated and he he, he described to me a uh, pygmy perch habitat. You can't get through. 
That was that was his only. No, you just can't get through. Mm. And if, if you just can't get through, that's good habitat. Oh. <laughs> you know, like dense, exactly. Yeah. Dense. Yeah, well, lots mine of certainly plants. got lots of water plants around exactly. and all that sort of stuff, so yeah. it should be fine. But it's, it's something I've always I've always kind of puzzled it. And I remember having a chat years and years and years ago to James Wall down at um, Garden World because I think we were we were poking around and they've got a big. Well, they did have a big Murray cod in the water garden section of. Uh, I forget the name of that section. Garden of, Collector's Corner. Yeah, is it? What's the water? The, anyway, the water. So there's a whole water, water, water section there, and and I was like, why can't you get native fish for ponds in this in this state? You can get in WA. Perch are quite yeah. common. You know, there's a few other places. So I'm sure James would be interested. Yeah. Well. Mm. Yeah. Well, it was ten years ago, and I don't know if you can still. But oh, I'll ask him. About yeah. It. But it was just um, for me. It was just such a great little. You sort of start down this little trail. And then the more you learn, the more there is to learn and the more exciting it is. And, you know, this this project for with the purple spotted gudgeon and the pygmy perch is linked, they call it the magnificent six. Mm-hmm. So there's six small uh, native fish species that, north, you know, north, northern catchment and all of these different um, associations, three different states mm. are all working together because obviously rivers don't stop at your state boundary. No, of course not. Working together to try and rebuild habitat for some of these fish. Um, and, yeah, it's just this fantastically oh. interesting um, – and I don't think we think about our waterways much. As gardeners, we – you know, everything you do in your backyard impacts the local waterway. But like I'm, I'm glad the fertiliser to hear as well that, uh, that a bathtub would be adequate enough because that's, that's mm. what I've got in my – you know, an even, iron bathtub. So something's you don't have to have a big dam or no. And even like. I mean, I guess I'm not necessarily going to contribute to a breeding population no. of that size, but I can make the choice to not have a fish that could get mm. into the waterways. Mm. And I think there's a mm. fish called mosquito fish, which most people would know now. Mm. Introduce gambusia, terribly um, invasive fish, and doesn't eat mosquito larvae. But all these people well, that, sort of have ended up with it. What is the point yeah. of the thing? <laughs> I know. You can't even eat it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I might be nice in batter. It's true. White yeah, bait Like white White bait yeah. yeah. All right. Let's, let's keep moving, yeah. guys. Um, the phone numbers, again, are 94190155. Put it into your phone and save it. And our text line is 0488 809 Now, we have a caller coming through. Uh, Dave from Montmorency, good morning and thank you for waiting. Uh, good morning. You're welcome. It's Drew. Um, Drew. Drew, sorry. Yep. Fantastic to hear you talking about the... Um, the native fish for mosquitoes because uh, we've been searching for ages and uh, I'm going to follow through with some of that information because uh, we've got a ponds, mosquitoes and frogs, but uh, any of those little white cloud things that just eat the tadpoles are no good. So that's fascinating information. Thank you. Um, I've got a real problem with fruit fly in Montmorency. Uh-oh. First, mm. first time... It started with our plums um, and didn't recognise it and then our tomato crop has just been decimated and that was when we realised it's fruit fly. Never seen it before here here in Montmorency in 50 years. So we're slowly going through and destroying what we've got but not not quite sure what to do going forward. Any information you could give us would be... Really helpful, thank you. There's quite a few people that live in Eltham and Montmorency that have had mm. fruit fly infestation, so it's definitely, unfortunately, in your area. 
There's a few options you could do. Destroying the fruit is uh, one thing. There's pheromone traps that you could get as well. There's a company called Bugs for Bugs that does uh, breeds and, and has products for, for biological control of various pests. So jump onto their website. They've got some really good information, some posters, some other brochures about the fruit fly. And what was it called again, Bugs? Bugs for bugs. I think it is. It's one of those things. We've we've actually filmed quite a comprehensive story that we'll put to air, I guess, in spring next year. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, the more you know, we actually, funnily enough, we filmed it in the Adelaide Hills, where officially there's not fruit fly, but unofficially, <laughs> you know, there is. South Australia have better reporting processes and controlling a fruit fly. Victoria mm. has yeah. nothing. Well, exactly. I think that's it. They shut it down. So whilst mm. that's why it's unofficial. But I think it is something that, I mean, I suspect I had it in one tomato, but I threw it to the chicken so quickly you would not have, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, but but I anticipate that in the next one, in, one to two years we'll have it as well because yeah. it's within 20 kilometres of where I garden. I know there's been um, reported out- outbreaks. And Mount, I think most of the councils have quite good information now. I know Mount Alexander certainly does. I think Nilambic does. Well, um, the Yarra Valley, well, we, uh, had, we had... Yeah, um, Nicole from the... Yeah, Yarra. Nicole in uh, talking about it uh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might have even been our first show back for the it year. It might have been. So, yeah, yeah go, um, Drew, go back and listen to the podcast for the first show mm. back. Yep. Um, it's it's sort of a 12-month-a-year thing is my understanding. Yeah. So we need to be hypervigilant about protecting fruit and about cleaning it up, obviously, but there's monitoring you can be doing yeah. most of the year to, to understand when you really need to take more action. Mm. Um, and I guess we're all going to have to get super savvy at yeah. – Spotting, spotting when we're having infestations, but we're going to have to get our game together with pruning to control size. Yep. If we're not going to look after our trees, they got to come out. They need to go. Yeah, you know? and so unfortunately, it's, until yeah. we do have our game together, it means the destruction of a lot of fruit, and that that really can't be understated. Yeah, we need to we yeah. need to destroy the fruit because that will yeah. perpetuate the problem. There's yeah. certain times but- of year when the adults will come out and lay their eggs in the fruit, so you can put sticky traps out. At certain times of the year, you can put – there's different types of pheromones mm. that you can mm. put out to attract the males. Now, do you know what they're called, the, the ones, the pheromone things that attract the males? They're called mat no. cups. stands for male no. annihilation technique. Okay. <laughs> I represent that remark. Yeah. The, the pheromone attracts the males and they get hyper-aroused and die. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So – um, Drew, um, you can what, buy what? them from Bugs for Bugs, those pheromone mat cups. That's one of the okay. products that they have. There's protein baits as well, mm. and that attracts a female. You just need – you dab it on the leaves of your plants or of your trees, and it, the female um, uh, eat, eats that and, and, and dies. So, so that's spinosad probably, yeah, I, I imagine, so. which, is, which has been used uh, – it's kind of like a bacteria-based um, – uh, yeah. Could I ask what? what the extent of their interest is. Will they go for chili, capsicum? Everything. Yeah, yeah, pretty well any fruit. Yeah. Wow, I think a okay. pineapples is one of the things they don't go for, apparently. Pineapples. Yeah. And, and, and us growing them down here is pretty poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can get a pineapple to, yeah. So there's the Queensland fruit fly and the Mediterranean fruit fly. There's a really good resource called um, the Plant Protection Books 
Plant protection number one, there's four in the group and you can download the PDFs online or you could buy, you can buy copies from the Queensland textbook warehouse online. Um, The plant protection one has a really good breakdown of the fruit flies, how to diagnose them, the different controls, when Mm. the adults, what time of year the adults arise and... um, yeah, they're really the good resources. They cause. Mm. <clears throat> they're they're my favourite pest books, and I, well, I use them in, in classes all the time. But they're understandable for um, for anyone. They're really mm. well they're really well set out. There's heaps of information in them. I, I think too, like like a lot of big pest problems for um, you know the big the big challenge is going to be communication mm. and collaboration between councils between gardeners because this is not a problem that you can solve in your backyard if it's not being solved across the road no, or exactly. down the street mm. yeah um, and, and you know I think it is it's really going to change the way we garden and I think we're all just a bit heartbroken that it's going to happen it was yeah. one of the you know we didn't get the weather up north but at least we didn't get the fruit fly yeah and now we've Got both, so you know, like it's um, it is going to be really challenging. I think the next decade for us all to to find ways to grow safely and organically mm. and all of those things, um, whilst sort of protecting our own fruit, but also the trying to keep the problem yeah to a minimum yeah I yeah. guess yeah. So, so once I've bagged the fruit and uh, left it in the sun to uh, kill everything in there. Can I then put that into the compost No, again? don't, just no, in case. Go in the, don't put, put any in fruit fly stuff, ridden stuff, into the compost. Okay. Unless you've got one of those super, no, it, it, it could go into an industrial hot composter, but you still wouldn't yeah, risk it then. Yep. Um, unfortunately, it needs to go into the bin, which is still not so a great yep. option, but it's better than the compost. Mm. Yep. No, thank you. That's all right. Um, all the best, Drew. And look, yeah, just a bit of vigilance and patience and um, check out the Plant Protection One books and check out the Bugs for Bugs website as well. Be ready really next year, I guess. It. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's so heartbreaking. I can't, mm. you know, just so, like, yeah. Like every, we, we've got citrus gall wasp everywhere, but mm. the, the the plants still fruit. We... We can live with it. Yeah. yeah. But K. Roberts fly. Palmer was a great advocate for saving citrus. Yeah. Um, with the citrus gall wasp. She's really good. Um, look K, look up K. Roberts Palmer K. Roberts if you're Palmer. interested in gall wasp yeah. issues. Yeah. Mm. But no, it is, it's going to be such a big issue. We grew, I, a friend sent me some tomatoes a couple of years ago, and I finally. You know, I saved some seed and I finally grew them out and I've grown an 800-gram tomato. <laughs> it's just like One you are... slice per sandwich. Oh, it's, it's three tomatoes. Last night yeah. I put two-thirds of one in dinner and then I had to put a third of a tomato in the fridge, which is the size of any good grossly. Oh, goodness. But it just, I, I just I picked, you know, picking it and I thought, you know, Watching this has just been such a joy, and it's yep. this huge crazy, and I th- and the heartbreak that it would be if you finally harvest something and it's and it's actually and you full usually of fruit don't fly. see it until it's full of fruit fly yep. because yep. the actual fly is quite small. It's got distinctive yellow dots on its mm. head and uh, thorax or abdomen, 
but you don't see it until you open up the fruit or you bite into it because you can't even tell from the outside yeah. and there's all there's maggots in it. I've got a video of because mm. we've got a peach tree at, at Melbourne Polytech at our orchard that's infested with it and we're working on right with students and classes. So it's good for teaching. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we just let it go for teaching Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I took, yeah, so I've got a video of one of the peaches that's got, Absolutely whacked by yeah, fruit fly. So I'll that. send it into it Liz. My stomach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, oh. then, and then some of your under the microscope, the one of the scale under oh, the microscope, yeah. so fantastic. Were, oh, thank you. I was it was it's really bad footage, but we were looking at yeah, we we're looking at bugs underneath microscope for a um, pest and disease class, and I flipped over one of we had this the pink wax scale, which is mm. sort of a greenhouse indoor plant pest. You just don't see that. It's no, so cool. We, I flipped over one of the bigger scale just to have a look at it underneath. Flipped it off the leaf, and I. Looked through the microscope and there's a bazillion baby scale running <laughs> out from underneath. It was like something from Alien. Yeah, so basically follow yeah. Chloe on Instagram for all the gory bugs. If you don't yeah. want to sleep again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> never touch scale. You'll never touch plants again. No, like, oh, no not really. You wouldn't have been able to see those babies with your naked eye. Yeah. Like we had to be looking at it through the microscope. It's so- magic. Because adult scale can't move. It's the babies that move around. So the mum – and you could sort of see the, the egg or the maltings from where that where that hatched and then, yeah, we flipped it over and they were starting to disperse everywhere else. Yeah, they it were amazing. It was so cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> still yuck. on my Instagram, foster your garden if you want to go and have a look at it. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Oh, goodness me. Well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're talking about gross, rotting things at the moment. Can we talk about some pretty things yeah, again? Yeah, we'll get yes. to it. Yes. So even Ryan, Millie Ross and Emma Heard in the studio with me this morning. Stephen, All what right. have you got? I've got a specific genus of plants that I wanted to talk about. Uh, so they're all in the same genus, uh, and it's a genus called Ampelopsis. Ooh. And the Ampelopsis is in the grape family. So it's part of the quite large group of plants in the grape family. Grapes, of course, uh, are vitus, so they're a different genus, um, but they're all in vitaceae, which is, in fact, where this Ampelopsis fits. Mm. And I don't know why, but I've ended up with a little bit of a collection of them. Because um, they're beautiful. They are lovely. Uh, they're all deciduous vines. Uh, they're, in general, reasonably vigorous, so they're useful for over pergolas fences and what have you. Um, most of them are light enough that they could even be allowed to grow up through a tree. Mm. So they're not so heavy as to become too much weight for a tree. Um, and their diversity in foliage is remarkable. Um, some of them colour nicely in the autumn, although they do tend to go more into the shades of yellows in the autumn before they shed. Uh, and But it's the leaf shapes and the berries that some of them produce. Mm. I mean, I've got one here, uh, which is one of the tur- tur- turquoise berry types Um, and this is uh, Ampelopsis humulifolius meaning leaves like a humulus which is a commercial hop uh, and it does have a hop shaped leaf Um, and it's it's berries are in shades of turquoise blue violet, purple, green um, every colour you can imagine really. It looks like you've you've drawn, you've coloured them with a metallic pen. Yeah. 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 And if you look like at them really closely, else. and I forgot yeah. to bring my glasses this morning, but they have little spots on them as well, mm. like bird's eggs. Um, and they're the most beautiful berries. Yeah. You know, you can imagine using these in floral art and all sorts of things. They're just lovely. So that's Ampelopsis humilifolius. How do you spell that? Ampelopsis, A-M-P-E-L-O-B. 
Hand-pelling. S-I-S. Opsis. Does that have Opsis. a common name Opsis. of porcelain berry or yeah, something? Yeah, porcelain berry for, yeah. for that one. Yeah. Um, there's also a variegated leafed one, which goes under the fabulous name of Ampelopsis brevipedunculares glandulosa elegans. Um, what a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it has this sort of rather attractive white marbling in the foliage. It mm. also gets the blue-purple berries. Gosh, that would be lovely. Uh, and it is really – and it's a very light – Climber. It would be perfect if you just wanted to climb it to say grow up a veranda post and yep. not go terribly much further. Yep. So it's very light, very gentle, uh, and climbers tend to fall into two camps. They're either the the outrageous, robust thug that takes over the whole garden, <laughs> otherwise known as wisteria, yeah, or something similar, <laughs> or they're this weak. Delicate, wussy, hard to keep alive. Clementus Aristata. Yeah, Um, but this actually fits in between, so it's tough and hardy, but Mm. it's not rampant and over the top. Yeah, Uh, and so Elegans is a a very pretty one. And in the spring, when its foliage first comes out, its new growth has pink stems, and the tendrils are pink as well that they hold on with. Uh, And so, you know, whether you like variegation or not is is a personal taste, but um, uh, I find this a very useful small climber. There's another one what here. What aspect does that one oh, the variegated one? It doesn't seem to mind. It'll grow in a fairly open, oh, sunny spot, but okay. it's also comparatively shade tolerant. It would be good in a shady spot, yeah, lighten it yeah, up. Yeah, lighten it up. Yeah. I find most of them fruit better if they get a fair bit of light. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and the fruit does tend to ripen fairly late in the season, so you don't want it to be too late. Otherwise, it'll not ripen before the autumn sets in. Mm. Um, I've got another one here that took some time to pin down. Uh, this is Ampelopsis vitifolia. Um, I got this originally years and years and years ago. Uh, as a cutting that I organised to get from the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. They had a plant of it growing, funnily enough, up a wall in the nursery. I don't know whether it's still there or not. Um, So it's not out in the public part of the garden. Mm. And theirs is surrounded by asphalt, growing in just this little tiny pocket of soil against a wall in there, and it coloured superbly in the autumn. Now, mm. I've planted it in good soil up at Mount Masson, and it goes a miserable yellow and drops its leaves. Oh, no. um, but it has very pretty leaf shape, and it's a nice semi-vigorous climber, um, and it's quite pretty. And this other one That's came to me via the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, yeah. and this one is probably my favourite for foliage, and it's one called Ampelopsis aconitifolius, meaning it's got leaves like a monk's hood. Um, so you could call it the monk's hood porcelain vine, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and it's also a very light climber. I've actually got this one growing on a metal tripod that's about two and a half metres high and probably half a metre wide at the base, and it grows up it, it dangles off it a bit. Uh, I prune it back to a basic structure every winter and then away it goes again the following spring. Uh, It has fruited and the fruit seems to ripen to a yellow and orangey colour instead of the blues Mm. and purples. Mm. Uh, Mm. Although I've seen photos of showing it with blue and purple berries so I don't quite know what that means. Maybe I've got a different clone or maybe somebody photoshopped the picture on the internet. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) A little bit of filter. Yeah, something going on. I don't know what's going on there. But it's got this beautiful filigree foliage and it is really really handsome it again goes yellow in the autumn before it sheds Um, and I would grow this for its leaf alone anyway I don't care whether it gets fruit on it or anything but it is really charming so the Ampelopsis as a group are drought tolerant one or two of them could go a little feral and weedy in certain climates. I know in certain countries overseas, the porcelain berry is considered to be a bit weedy. Uh, whether there's areas in Australia it's likely to happen, I don't know. Um, 
as far as I know, it hasn't been proclaimed a weed anywhere in Australia. So yet, uh, yet, yet, yes, but who knows? <laughs> um, Keep promoting it though. You might. Yes, might yes, I might push it out there to weed list, status. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think they're great groups. In fact, I love the whole grapevine family. Um, I mean, I talked about some of the more classical grapevines actually on the ABC radio yesterday mm. and that's sort of what led me to start talking about these because we certainly didn't have time to talk about them on ABC for the 20 minutes or so that we get yeah. to talk about it on, on air. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so these ones missed out and I thought, well, I'll bring them in this morning so that people can see them. I have sent Liz an image of them sitting out on a white surface, sort of from left to right with the name. So hopefully Liz can sort of sort that out and put it up on the uh, uh, up on the on the socials, socials for us. So yep. you'll find it on Facebook and Instagram and can stuff. Can I have that well. one on the end as a cutting? Uh, <laughs> oh, all right. No, I'll come and buy one off you. Don't no, worry. I haven't even got any for sale at the moment. Well, so you can you to... strike me one? Yeah, all right. Um, it is, it's such an interesting thing. It was I was thinking about bringing similarly um, some different climbers that I've been mucking around yeah. with. because I get got a this, bad rap. They do, and they're really – Stephen's 100% right. They kind of fall in two camps. Yeah. And finding those that sit – in the middle, it's like it's mm. my lifelong job at the moment. I've got I've got this, you know. I I built a fence against my house on the northern side of my house mm. that faces the driveway, and it's mesh because I wanted the light to hit the house in winter. I didn't want to put a solid fence mm. there, so I've been trying to find. And you know, I love plants, mm. so I want to try everything. Trying to find climbers that will do exactly that will give us some privacy. Yep, but I don't want to be out there. Pruning them all oh, the time. hacking and, and hacking and hacking, which you tend to do. I put a, a mullen, I finally was like, right, I'm going to do it. Mullenbeckia complexa. Put a, a maidenhair vine on there. And to be honest, in our climate, and you mm. you probably would say it, it's great in summer, but then in winter it actually is a little bit insipid. Yeah. And it sort of loses a lot of its leaves and it, it doesn't quite do the job. But in summer, you're just out there pruning it every 35 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I was going to say it's pretty vigorous. It's really mm. vigorous and mm. not in an easy way. And I actually came across a, a Mullenbeckia axillaris, which is an Australian species um, and, I, you know, I was at Cranbourne Friends Nursery filming last year at some point and I've grabbed a couple of them and I'll be interested to see how they overwinter, mm. second winter in. Um, but very, very similar growth form, slightly larger leaf, yeah. um, but really listed to only get to a metre. I've now got it to six foot, oh. you know, because I'm climbing it yeah, straight up, you know. I mean, I use shrubs as climbers all the time. I often do that too because they are so much more manageable than your average vigorous climber can be. Absolutely. Mm. So, you know, anything simple even, you know, I've got a fajoa being grown as a climber at the moment. I've got, you know, obviously espaliered apples, all yeah. those sorts of yeah. things. But, you know, I often use evergreen shrubs. There's a local corrier that works beautifully. Mm. It's got really upright growth and you can weave it in uh, into mm. a fence. Is it corrier decumbens? No, it's actually just a corrier glabra. It's the local oh, form. Right. Um, Coloban River, actually. It's oh. gone all around the country, yeah, this particular yeah, yeah. form. Um, but because because it's got such long, you it know, does. upright l- mm. arms, you can actually sort of espalier it. Actually, another yeah. shrub that I use quite regularly, and it's not a native shrub, but there's an abutilon called abutilon megapotamicum, oh. which is a scandent shrub, basically. Yep. It flowers all year round. Uh, you can get it in a mildly hectic variegated form. Um, it gets red and yellow flowers, so red calyx, yellow petals, and then dark burgundy stamens that hang out. Um, and the honey eaters just go nuts for it. 
so it's full of nectar mm. uh, and it flowers all year round and it is, it's a shrub, yep. but you can weave it through a wire fence. I've done that at the nursery. Uh, it's really manageable yep. um, and, and it gives me flowers all year round and mm-hmm. I find that a really useful plant. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. I think it's, it, it is so, like we, I think getting out of that headspace that if it's a vertical space you need a climbing plant yeah. because they are often just too much work. Oh, well, that's why I've, I've actually become very fond of some of these ampelopsis yeah. because, you know, some of them are quite vigorous, but uh, ones like the variegated one and the, the monkshood leafed one uh, are really light, gentle climbers. Uh, and even the more vigorous ones like the true porcelain vine are once a year cut yeah. back to um, permanent structure yeah. uh, is probably all you'd need to do to, to keep it in order. Mm. Um, and, and so they're not the miffy group of climbers. Miffy. Yeah, like some of the Is climbers. that a botanical miffy. term, Yeah, friend? Miffy. Yeah, it is. Sorry, but it is a botanical term. Sorry if your name's Miff. Yeah, yeah that's right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, there's things like Lapageria and all sorts of exquisitely beautiful climbers, but yeah. they can be real prima donnas. They can be really hard to keep. Uh, but if you've got the right aspect for them, they're, they're so easy because they're not too vigorous. So to find the hardy non-vigorous climbers yeah. is where is where <laughs> been, it comes yeah. to. I've been kind of playing in clematis. Cl- I'm going to say clematis like Stephen does instead yeah. of clematis like the rest of us. Yeah, because <laughs> I know you're here. It's, it's funny, you know, I go to say that word and I hear you saying it. Yeah. You're in good company when yeah. you say that. Yeah. So, but I've been mucking around with some of the species and trying yeah. to find those ones that, as you say, like I, I love the local clematis microphylla. I yeah. think it's, it's a fantastic a plant. plant. Mm. It's, you know, you can manage it really well. Aristata, I, I managed to get one to grow to the top of a string and it flowered once in four years, you oh. know. Oh, you that that doesn't on. sound particularly No, exactly. Useful. And now it's all died back again. But yeah. then, you know, I've got, um, I bought, is it Ladakiana from uh, Lamley, which yeah. is very, very beautiful. It's got these coppery brown mm. flowers. They're sort of just finishing now and going out to that f- fluffy yeah. seed head. Um, that's that's proving quite nice. It's quite brittle. Yeah. Yeah, some of the clematis are quite brittle and that can be brittle. one of the problems with them. Actually, one that I've been using and I find really good uh, is one of the North American species called Viora, um, and Viora has a quite substantial flower. It's probably on oh, the old measurements an inch and a half long. It's really companionate. Mm. The f- petals are like they're made out of lemon peel or something. They're really thick, oh, squishy wow. petals. Yeah. and it's the most beautiful, soft, dusty pink. And the inside of the flower is almost a greeny white. And so when mm. the ends of the petals curl back it shows off this other colour inside the flower head and you treat it sort of more like a herbaceous perennial you just hack it all off in the winter um, and then away it goes again and flowers on the new wood the following year and it'll probably send up stems two and a half to three metres, not much sure. more. And so, again, it would be one you could run over the top of a bush that's not going to swamp things yep. or use on a small frame. Yep. Um, really pretty clematis. So well worth looking for. And, you know, very gardenable by the sounds yeah. of it, mucking around with them. You know, they, they yeah, they're very they're, – they're fun plants. You can do lots of different things with them. Yeah, mm. I think they're great. I think you two have just sold ice to Eskimos. This is great. We've had a few people <laughs> – <laughs> we've had a few people text in with some of the other stuff we've been talking about. Someone's asked us to repeat the abutilon name, so A B U T I L O N, and the one you want is Mega Potamicum, and it's more or less phonetic, so it's M E G A P O T A C U M. 
or something like that. If you started if you typing get, that in, you, you start typing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so megapotamicum, which unfortunately the abutilins are also being split at the moment. Oh, and so into me- what? Uh, well, most of the ones we know really well are going to be called calianthes. Oh. That's not that's not that's not too bad. It's yeah, still so pronounceable. it could be Calianthe Megapotamicum, okay. depending Megapotamicum. on what source you go to. <laughs> oh God, the new name. It'd be one good. of the few you could actually buy as a species, I imagine, because yeah. most would just be the hybrids. Yeah, hybrid yeah. mutilins yeah. mainly. Yeah. yeah, and often they're not even sold under their names. They're just like a mixed batch. Yeah, yeah, the pink one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got the orange one. A friend of mine gave me a shrubby abutilin uh, with these. Is it Fraser up? No, it's um, big flouncy flowers and it's orangey, but it's got this, if you look at it closely, it's almost got pinkish veins through it. It's oh, the yeah. weirdest thing. It's beautiful, mm. but I can't pin it down to a cultivar <laughs> name. I think I know. I'll, yeah. I'll work that out. Yeah, because yeah. it's really lovely. I've got it growing sort of flopping its way up through my blood orange and the fruit on the tree and the abutilin uh, is looking quite spectacular. And when the climbing tibuchina gets up through it with its purple flowers, Boy, is this going to be over the wow. top. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, it's on the fruit fly topic still, uh, Kay from McLeod has texted in saying that Sustainable McLeod, which is a local community group, has a lot of resources ah, on good. fruit fly um, monitoring. And she suggested, and this is one I just learned about recently, is kale and clay is apparently effective for it as well. So you know the clay that's starting to be used for citrus gall wasp? Yes, which I've heard mixed things about. Me too, and I'm not quite sure. I'm still yeah. not quite sure about it as well. Apparently, it's used in a, in a lot of permaculture gardens to deal That's, with fruit fly too. That doesn't sell it to me. I think it because <laughs> fruit fly is they're they're putting their eggs into the fruit and you're spraying the clay th- onto look, the fruit. I think a simple, it, it, you know, potentially it is a deterrent. Um, anything that is putting some sort of yeah, coating. unnatural coating on something is potentially going to deter some insect attack. Very interesting. I, I think definitely councils and departments of agriculture, etc. there's a lot of resources being built. Yeah. Um, so I would say go to your local council and if there's nothing on their website, send them an email and ask because yeah. they need to yeah, they need be, to be the there. hub for us all to be getting very localised information and resources yeah. so that we can be taking action together. Victoria needs – we need – Victoria as a whole, like at every level, needs to be so much better at managing fruit fly. As yeah. we said before, like South Australia are really good at it, but Victoria is is horrible on so many I rem- levels. You so. know, I remember it must be 10 years ago that a, a friend of mine, a gardener, got a job as a fruit fly inspector where when the first outbreaks happened yeah. – um, they would go into backyards and look look for it. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't take much for an outbreak to go unnoticed. But yeah. interestingly, I have tomato blight this year, first time ever it is a history of a gardener had that issue, you know, hot, mm. humid weather. But I also had something else going on with my tomatoes and being the, you know, ABC researcher that I am, I made some calls and I ended up talking to some plant pathologists who work for the Department of Ag here or whatever it's called, Department of Changing Names. Yes. Um, and, Worse than botany, really. And I, I was talking to the, the the chief scientist there who's, you know, responsible for 200 scientists doing all sorts of different things across the fields and he, he just reiterated to me how important people noticing things in their backyard yep. is. He said, you know, we do all of these different things but he says – they do do a lot of diagnostics still for home gardeners. It costs about 100 bucks, And he says the first thing we do is pick up the phone, actually, and speak to people and ask them questions about where it's growing, you know, what the conditions are, mm-hmm. all those basic things. Um, but he said, you know, there's been massive examples. There's a tomato psyllid yeah. in um, mm-hmm. West Australia. 
Is it a cylinder or an aphid? Anyway, that, but it was detected by a home gardener. Mm. And um, it is that, that monitoring that we do in our backyards is really important. So, yeah, for councils to be have some system where people can report fruit fly, can go to them for mm. information and advice, can know which nursery knows how to advise them. Yeah. You know, because I've stood and stared in the big box and there's a couple of products, Eco Organic do a product um, and there's a few, but it's it's one product. It's not mm. here's the system that's yep. going to get you through the year mm. and, and really teach you what you're doing. So, I mean, I think the key thing is that if you're going to put traps up, if you're going to use lures, if you're going to use any sort of insecticide, which they are insecticides, they're considered um, organic, many of them, but... Um, you still have to be monitoring. It's Absolutely. not a set and forget. No, it's not. It's totally yeah. not. So, um, yeah, it's, and it's, it's and vigilant it's a gardeners. Of, and monitoring is just walking around your garden and having a close look at mm. what's yeah. going on. Yeah, you can do it I do in that the morning. Every morning, with morning yeah. Yeah. morning beverage, evening beverage, whichever, yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, you yeah. can Sometimes do it with the anything. evening beverage takes you in different directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, another question coming on the text line is when can clivias be divided? Well, when you've got the time to divide them, basically. Yeah, great advice. <laughs> uh, except in coldish areas, I would I would preface that with saying don't divide them when you are in a coldy, frosty sort of area uh, during the colder months of the year. And there, therein is another name issue because I always say clivia. I've been corrected to clivia by a clivia by a clivia gardener. When I was a young gardener, I rang from the nursery yeah. I, and I, I don't even know who he is now. I don't know how yeah. I found him. And he said, it's clivia, dear. No, it's not. And it, because I know. it's named after Lady but, Clive and I was always taught if it's commemorative, you should pronounce it as close as possible to the original because it's not Latin, it's Latinized. I know, I totally understand yeah. what you're saying there, yeah. but so I still I, like, I go with that old guy who yeah, told me well, when I was look, 22. But uh, <laughs> I had a big argument with a South African once in a garden because she knew because they come from her country. Of course. Uh, and she g- gave me a hard time when I said Clivia, but I said it was not la- named after Lady Clive. Uh, and we should be saying Fuchsia and we should be saying Dahlia um, because they were named after Fuchs and Dahl. I've been trying Dahlia this year, actually. Yeah, it's Dahl- been fun. Dahlia. I've been growing quite a few and I've been, I've been just trying saying Dahlia. It yeah. feels it's, It somehow toffee. feels right. Yeah. <laughs> but there, you'll always come unstuck because if you're going to be serious about it, then we shouldn't be saying Mahonia. We should be saying Mania. Because mm. his name was Man. Ah. Uh, so well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with I'm never gonna be serious about it because if it becomes this barrier to people, yeah. and I yeah. see this happening, well, you would true. see it with students probably. It becomes this barrier where people hesitate before they say something, or they they feel like they're never gonna get that right. I mm. just go, that is the worst barrier oh, we yes. could possibly yep. have to people feeling confident and involved mm. and empowered to bloody garden. All I want people to do is use the bloody Latin name. Yeah, well, actually, Chloe, that's right. I mean, I... I, I don't care how it's when pronounced. When people pronounce things in a quaint way, sometimes it gives me something to laugh about. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had somebody come into the nursery and ask me for a punnet of, gaz- uh, of gazaneers once. Um, and Did you, you tell them they're a weed? Yeah. Well, it took me a while to work out what they were talking about. You know, <laughs> Let's uh, get the book out. Yeah, what's know. a gazaneer again? Um, so, but you do have to remember that it isn't a, a spoken language. Exactly. You know, and, and it's not Latin. I mean, there's a heap of Greek in there as well. Um, and it's scientific. See, that uh, Latin Latin bothers me too yeah. when people so, say Latin names. Yeah. It's like, it's not. Yeah, it's the scientific name of the plant. There's lots of botanical names actually that are the local name with a Latinized ending. Uh, Nandina, for instance, sake, Nanda is the uh, local 
Japanese name for Nandina Domestica and they just put an A on the end of it and created a a, a Latinized name for that plant. So there's oodles of plants out there and you've got – and the thing I always say to people when they say, oh, no, you don't pronounce it Clivia or Clivia or whatever, uh, the thing I say to them is, well, there are actually letters we use in our botanical names for plants that actually didn't exist in the ancient languages. So if an ancient Roman came back today – they couldn't pronounce the words either because there's letters in there they didn't yeah. have in their own alphabet. So how do how do I pronounce that letter if it didn't exist in the actual think, uh, alphabet of the time? I mean, I'm I love scientific names because it really helps me personally yeah. understand oh. where something's all those things. But also, if you look at you know, I've got I've got an Australian plant or two local plants in my basket here and uh, you know, it's very likely that that would have that widespread species would have a different name in every part of this country where totally. it occurs yeah. or no name at all. Oh, yes. Quite no often specific name, name at yep. all. It yeah. might just actually be known for perhaps its role or its grouping or, yeah. you know, its function or There's whatever. There's not many so, cultural groups that had specific names for specific plants and, and named most of their plants in their cultures. One of the few are the New Zealand natives yep. uh, because the Maori actually named almost all their plants and – They've got their own names for practically the yeah, whole they flora, do. Yeah, um, they do. but not many. Because it's not a big place, that, and mm. there's not many plants. Really. No, well, in, in a sense, <laughs> there's not. The and, and they utilised practically everything, so they needed to know what the different plants were, yeah. and have a specific name for each one, so that they could utilise yeah. them. And so, if you look at a book on New Zealand native plants, if they're putting in the uh, the local ethnic names for those plants, nearly everyone's got one. Yeah. It's amazing, and and they tend to be standard. And, of course, New Zealand wasn't that big, so I think the mm. language was fairly much the same Maybe throughout. Mm. So it was yeah. more uniform. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, so it's interesting. But, uh, yeah, look, use the botanical names. Don't get too tied up with it. Um, yeah. If pedants like me come along and correct your pronunciation, well, you know, just take it on board as just... a learning experience. I mean, I've been corrected on botanical names many times yeah. over the years, and sometimes I'll agree with it, sometimes I might not. Um uh, I figure as long as I'm understood. I, I've, yeah. I've been laughed at many times the way I've pronounced something, but <laughs> you read it out of a book. Yeah, I taught myself exactly. everything I know out of a book until yeah, yeah, I yeah. started until coming and it's... sitting sitting with you guys. You yeah, know, yeah. And until like... you hear it spoken. Yeah, and of course the other thing is we make this big deal about Latin names being universal, and you know, so you'll be understood if you're in Japan or Russia or somewhere else. But in fact. We anglicise the pronunciation of practically everything we do anyway. And so if you hear a Russian speaker pronouncing Latin names or botanical names or somebody in Japan doing it, they quite often pronounce it in a completely different way. And even some other English-speaking countries have a different sort of slant on, you know, is it pitosporum or pitosporum? Um, it's pitosporum, mate. Pitosporum, yeah. <laughs> uh, and is it catoniaster or catoniaster? mate. <laughs> so, you know, so I can quite often hear somebody talk about a plant with a different accent and still struggle to know what they're talking about. But if it's written down, yes. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. A couple of other text messages have come in. Uh, Laurel has asked about her ma- uh, her maidenhair, I'm assuming a maidenhair fern, yeah. that she's got inside in a pot. It's looking a little bit scrappy. How can mm. she improve it? Burn it. <laughs> yeah, but be very careful if it's in a plastic no, pot. No, no, no. I've, I've heard, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Look, I have, um, yeah, I, I mean, cut it back. 
you know, make sure it's drained well, make sure it's consistently watered. That's kind of, it's the oxymoron that is um, maidenhair ferns. But, yeah, I've heard that um, a lot of people have quite good success just giving it a light burn every Mm. now and then. No. Actual burn. Yeah. Because they grow, they're, they're native to Australia and they grow along rock escarpments, so they would get burnt. Oh, in yeah. Bushfire. Yeah. Mount Taronga, the sort of a hill next to Mount Macedon, uh, is very rocky and it's covered in maiden heifer yeah. and there's yeah. masses of it there. And every time we get a really droughty year, it just seems to disappear. Yeah. Mm. But the rhizomes are still there. Uh, and as soon as the weather breaks, up it pops again and yeah. it's fantastic. There's many ferns that it kind of – I was thinking about like basket ferns up north mm. and and even the rasp fern, you see that um, growing growing in lots of rocks. There's so many ferns that are actually lithophytes, aren't yeah. they? Like that we think about them in this deep forested yeah. soil. Yeah, no. But that, no, I'm just clinging for my dear yeah. life. And maidenhair is of one of those things that it needs – fairly exacting conditions to look flourishingly healthy. Yeah. So it needs to get the right amount of uh, uh, of moisture, humidity, um, you know, all uh, humusy rich soil, all those sorts of things. And you've got to remember that in the wild, it only looks good for a short period of the year. 27 seconds. And then the yes. rest of the year it looks scruffy. Yes. Yes. So it sort of naturally goes through scruffy phases. So it's really hard to, in fact, keep it looking pristine 12 months of the year. Do you think that'll become a fad, Stephen? I, I, I'm seeing you and I could market this. Uh-oh. The, well, you know, we're rewilding, yeah. you know, it's a big thing now. People are trying to do naturalistic plantings yeah. even in municipal spaces. So a half-dead maidenhair fern is a good thing. Absolutely. I'm just, it's just it going yeah. through its uh, dormant <laughs> phase in my bathroom right now. Yeah, that's now. right, exactly. <laughs> Oh We've had a couple of phone co- uh, phone calls come through, so we better get yep. to them. We say hello to Vic in Maribyrnong. Are oh, I, yeah, yeah, I'm still there. Good on How you. are you, Vic? Uh, not too bad, thanks, Steve. Long time since I spoke to you. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, look, Tommy Granite. Yeah. A lady friend of mine's got one growing in very, very clay soil. Yeah. When it rains, the water just sits on the top. Uh-oh. It doesn't go anywhere. Now, this pomegranate, uh, well, first, what are we going to do to make this soil take water, uh, the clay take water for a start? It's not that easy to do in an established garden, you know, because you've got the root systems of all those plants mm. in there. Um, and to, you know, encourage better drainage, I mean... Really, drainage, the... we want the water to go into the. Into the oh, so it's hydrophobic. Mm. Uh, is well, that what you call it? Yeah. Well, you can use wetting agents, and there are apparently a few wetting agents out there that are, in fact, organic wetting agents. Made from plant, plant-based yeah. and so they, they're yeah. worth looking at. But all of these products are only going to last a certain time, and then they leach away. So what you need to try and do to get moisture to stay in the soil is you need to get higher humus levels, so you need to get some organic material slowly rotting down and going in if you can't dig it in because mm. of the roots of the plants. And funnily enough, if you can get some coarse sand or, or fine gravel that you can gently uh, turn into the soil, um, that will also help. My soil has become a lot better over the years because I've been using a lot of spent potting mix. Yeah. I bring it all home from the nursery and it's all got sandy stuff in it and that sand has been going into what was my original yellow clay um, and I've now got about 18 inches of quite good topsoil. 
It still gets a little hydrophobic in the in the summer, mm. mainly because it's got lots of roots in there and all that sort yeah. of thing. They suck up the moisture and then it gets over dry and then it's really hard I, to get moisture in again. I also wouldn't be afraid with something as hardy as a pomegranate. Mm. I wouldn't be afraid of giving it a gentle fork around the kind of root yeah. zone. So, like, if you work your way out, Vic, from the perimeter of the foliage, underneath that is where you're going to have your little feeder roots. And just you don't turn it over. You just stab the fork yeah. in, you wriggle it back and forth. You stab the fork in, you wriggle it back and forth. And then as Stephen said, if you're top dressing with a nice kind of organic mixed yeah. particle mulch that will slowly break down, then that, that can start to work its way in. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think the garden fork is mm. probably the most useful tool you can yeah. have in the garden. Because it will really. break the tension on your soil so that moisture can get down. Yeah. Uh, so if you have got a hydrophobic issue... Um, um, then it's you, you've got to break it somehow or another. So yes, getting the air in, getting the moisture yeah, in, getting all that yeah. stuff down in there. So yeah, so uh, Millie's right. If you can get the fork into the ground, that will help. Uh, I think twice about it with certain plants, but yeah. a pomegranate is pretty tough, yeah. mm. uh, and so it's not going to mind having its roots aerated by a garden fork particularly. So yes, yeah, so I'd start with that, but then try and get some other materials in there that will help hold the clay open. Can she throw a uh, raw um, lawn cuttings there as well. I wouldn't use lawn cuttings as a. Uh, a no, no, I like a, to spin by themselves, but I, can you throw lawn cuttings, fresh lawn cuttings, to get rid of them and mix them into that? What you don't have don't mix fresh anything into the ground. If you're going to put things down on the ground that are fresh, let them rot on the surface. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, you'll tie up nitrogen, and you can also burn roots and things with lots of. And use it sparingly. Uh, I would see my lawn cuttings, this is uh, using a cooking analogy here, I would see my lawn cuttings as a condiment, not an ingredient. Does that make sense? Fair enough. Yeah, so you'd use it like you would salt, not flour. Or mix mix so, them with... So can you dry them out somewhere in another spot and then use them dry? Yeah, you can, but use them on the surface. Allow them to rot down on the surface. Yeah, 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 and yeah, remember that lawn cuttings can often mat on the surface and it makes it hard yeah. to get water through. So they do have to have other materials mixed with it. But certainly don't waste it. I mean, if, anything if organic. Got, if you've got stacks of them, Vic, you know, the leaves are going to start falling from the heavens in the next few weeks. Mm. And um, if you've got a lot of lawn clippings, yeah, pile them up, wait till you get a big load of leaves, mix that mix together, yeah. hose it, walk away, and in spring you'll be patting yourself on the back. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly don't about... waste anything. <laughs> I actually did a YouTube video recently on sustainability in my own garden and pointed out that I waste nothing organic. Uh, it all goes back into the garden in some form or another. So whether it goes through my compost heap, whether it goes straight onto a garden bed, whether it becomes uh, shreddings that I put through my shredder that then go onto paths to rot down. Um, if it's bigger wood, it becomes firewood. The ash then goes back into the garden. So I went through the whole process of what I do to become, I call myself a net green waste importer. Uh, is, is the way I look at it because I use everything on site, nothing leaves site, including my septic. Uh, everything is used on site uh, and I also bring in materials as well. Um, so um, I, I see that as one way that gardeners can really make an impact on the earth as well as their own garden by, in fact, keeping everything on site if they can. And so I've done a video on it recently. If you went into our YouTube channel, you'd find it. Oh, that's if I went there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Vic's like, I'm going to be out the back mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. I am not on YouTube today. Yeah. Well, you oh, do that after dark. It's a gorgeous day. It's a gorgeous day. After dark. Vic. You're right, Vic. Don't, don't look at the computer today. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so, Vic. Okay. All the best so, with the. No, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Oh. So, so, so if I if I got a whole bunch of this greenery and just mixed it all through with a fork first, and then just put it all around the tree, mm. uh, the base of the tree. How far out from the trunk? Can I spread this stuff? As far out as you want. I mean, as far out as you want. How, yeah, how there's no rules on that, Vic. Just don't go too close any, to the trunk. Any, any rule to the depth of thickness of that stuff? Again, if it's left on the surface, it, uh, it's not that important, the depth. Um, in fact, I think we tend to bog ourselves down in rules and regulations sometimes and think that, you know, there are set standards that you have to work by um i uh, i put down really thick mulches quite regularly um i've never swamped a plant with a mulch as far as well, i can when work you out say thick, how thick? well it depends on what i'm putting down but at least an inch or two i mean a mulch oh, isn't oh, going to be a weed suppressant unless it's thick enough i was talking about a foot oh no you wouldn't put anything on your garden as a foot deep Vic. no Unless you're just trying to make a... That's a compost pile, Vic, once you've got it in that... Which is what you need to do. You do need to compost this first before you're putting it out on, on the garden. So oh, you've got to compost it first. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, compost it all together. In And as I said, in spring it'll be ready to go on the garden, no worries. And, and you know, I mean, I, I always think between, you know, between... Two and three knuckles is about where you want to go. Yeah, most mulches, that's all you need anyway because they're going to swamp the weeds, they're going to hold moisture in. Um, you don't need to be excessive with your depth of mulch, uh, but you don't want to be mean with it. Okay. All right, Good Vic, luck, Vic. Vic, we've got a lot of calls we need to get yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I have to call back next go week. Go forth, get composting. Get ra- It is, it's, it's free fishing season. It's about to, I, I'm the rake at the ready at all times yeah. over the next few months. All right. Well, thanks very, very much. Good Appreciate luck, Vic. It. Talk to you soon. Bye. It's nice. It sounds like Vic was helping his mate out too. Yeah. It wasn't even for his own tree. Yeah. yeah. Um, we must welcome Eleanor from Wangaratta. Thank you for waiting. If you're still there, Eleanor. Yes. Oh, good. Yep. How can we help you? Hello. Yeah, hello. we're here. Eleanor. Hello. Oh, hello. Yeah, we're here. You're we're listening air. to you. You're What's on your air. question? Um, I've got a question that should be um, dear to Stephen's heart. Uh-oh, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually curious about um, learning about the root system of the yucca and how do you eradicate them when you don't want them as a... The roots of yuccas are not an issue. I don't quite get why people make such a big deal about the roots. As long as you get the base of the stump out, the other roots that are going out sideways will just rot away in the ground. Positive, so it shouldn't be that difficult. No, to... look, it's hard yakka, don't get me wrong. It's like digging ag- agapanthus or any of these sorts of things or bamboo or any of these things in the garden. It can be quite hard work. Uh, so physical labour-wise, yes, it's, it's, it's difficult. But you don't have to get every fibrous root out yeah. of the ground because you've just got to get the trunk and the roots just out from the trunk and any base of the trunk that might still be in the ground. You need to get that out. Once you've got that out, the yucca's gone. So if you've got river river pebbles at the base, you would peel them back. I'm yes, definitely. You would, you would cut it off um, so that you've got something to give you a bit of leverage. Yes, you and need I to guess. leave a stump so that you can lever yep. it backwards and forwards as you're, lift, as you're digging down through the roots. Um, Get yourself a crowbar. Yeah, crowbars are quite good. Yep. Actually, I've got the best tool in the world for dealing with things like bamboo and yuccas, and it's called a bamboo slammer. Um, <laughs> and it's a blade that is sort of... 
U-shaped with, you know, at, at the bottom, it's got a very heavy handle and it's got an internal handle that you slam up and down like you would to put in star stakes. Yeah, right. And and you can slam that down through the roots really well, but it was quite expensive to buy. But because I do a bit of bamboo lifting and dividing and potting, it's the best tool I've ever bought. I think it cost me about 160 bucks or something. Mm. Um and there's a company that makes handmade tools, uh, and I can't remember his Christian name, but his surname's the same as mine, so it's Ryan. Um, James. Is it? I think it's James. It's J.D. Ryan is the yeah, company. Yes, so, something like that, yeah. They have the the rights to this tool. It's made in New ah, Zealand, yep. um, and I bought it via them. And it is the best investment I ever made. I mean, it might sound excessive to dig out some yucca, but I tell you what, if you could borrow one or get one, uh, it would make life so much easier. Um, But yes, you just need to get down and underneath the stump. Um, You can ignore most of the root system. Yeah, I think I've been misled because um, someone had mentioned that they go very deep and extensively. And I actually thought that it was just a matter of getting the main... Now, the, if you get the main trunks out, you should be fine. Yeah, and it's called a bamboo slammer. Yeah, that's what that's what the the product was called. <laughs> Sounds like um, a uh, and it is the best thing. I mean, I can actually go down through bamboo rhizomes with about three or four wax on this thing, uh, and if I go right round my clump of bamboo, I can lift out a section with uh, an intact root system and pot it up. Because and- it is, it's often just one horizontal root that you're chasing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. When you like, you think, yeah. oh, this isn't going to take long. You're like twenty minutes in, you're feeling yeah. confident, and two hours later, yeah, yeah, you're, still, you're still trying to chase that yeah, one route. Yeah, so there you go. So anyhow, so don't panic about the yucca. It will be hard work. Uh, if you've got young, vigorous, strong people in your life, it get might them be... to do it. Yeah, bring them around for a barbecue um, and, and get them to work it, on it. It's um, extraordinary. I mean, even the roots of a, an oak tree, the majority of the important roots are in the top 600 millimetres. Yeah. Actually, Peter May, the great Peter May, mm. former uh, principal at uh, Burnley College posted on his Instagram the other day uh, a, a root system that had been water jetted out where they were doing some work on his street. And you can see, you know, they're in the top 400. Yeah. These, yeah. you know, huge and that's trees. A huge tree. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, most mostly you're right. It's cutting that peripheral root system yep. to, to get it out. Killing yuccas. Good mm. luck, Eleanor. So, yeah, so you don't, you, you wouldn't suggest. So it's a manual method. There's nothing um, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the best way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, there are times when I will use a poison to kill a tree because I know that it will sucker from the roots. Yeah. So yeah. if I had an elm tree in the garden I was cutting down uh, or many other trees like poplars and things that you know will sucker or mm. robinias that will sucker, then I will opt for the poison technique because if I just cut that down or even just dig out the stump, I'll leave roots behind that are going to come up everywhere. And so I would then uh, systematically poison that stump to make sure it went down through the roots and killed it. But yuccas are not that sort of plant, so you won't have a problem there. Yeah, that's what I was hoping to hear. And then finally, just the last bit of the chapter is putting natives, so re-establishing natives where the yuccas have been, um, is there anything 
can they just be sort of planted in the remnants yeah. of those roots, or would you wait for the well, roots? Well, I'd, to I'd let away? the roots. Uh, I'd let the roots die over a month or two, uh, yeah. but you could plant again pretty quickly. I mm. mean, the whole thing will start to rot, and, and in what what will actually happen is all those yucca roots will become organic material Except, in the ground. Yeah, I mean, people will have heard of no dig gardening, mm. and particularly in a productive garden, it, it very much runs on that principle that you don't lift roots out mm. of the ground a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, you cut cut or you twist uh, the crop out and you leave that root system in the yeah. garden bed to break down and become organic matter. So, yeah, I, I don't think – I mean, I might – it depends what you're going to plant as far as a yeah. native goes, like whether you might amend the soil. It's probably pretty dry and under rocks and growing a yucca. It might, might, mm. might warrant a little bit of compost. Um, but it's getting on such a good time for planting so many yeah. Australian species. Yeah, I wouldn't species. leave it too long. Mm. Yeah, getting, getting into the winter months, it's a, it's a great time to be replanting. That's great. Thank you. All the best, Eleanor. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye. All right. Yuccas, they're one of those plants, aren't they? People love them or hate them. I've got to say, (laughs) as long as you leave it on the verge for someone else to collect, take it to the tip. Please don't dump it in the bush. The amount of yuccas that I see dumped... It's one of the it's one of the key you know when people dump their green waste in the bush, which drives me bonkers. Oh, I get so. so it's angry not when just I see the plant. It. The yucca probably will just form a big clump of yucca there. It's not mm. going to go far. It's all the weeds in the potting mix. Mm. So you take your pristine, you know, oxalis, sticky weed, flickweed filled, vinca filled yeah. pot, it, pot, and you dump it in the wombat forest, yeah, and it's, it's like, it drives yeah. me bonkers. Yeah. All right, we must say good morning to Liz in Mount Eliza. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. And yes, like probably 90% of the population, yuccas are foul. <laughs> oh, come on, a good, you, I a like good it when yucca. you see yeah. 10 of them, they're 50 years old, they're planted against a building, yeah. you know, they're round uh, especially as Especially a, a Spanish hacienda yeah, style Love building. it, love it. Can't Taking it too far. Only, you can can't only have one, you can only have yuccas if you've got 20. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I had 20 in a house in town where they planted them as the you know this sculptural thing that all these townhouses do and there was rows and rows and the first thing I did was not rip them out I did exactly what you said but the guy who did it said oh can I have them can I have them and I went absolutely (laughs) there's always somebody that will recycle things yeah Yeah. um very quickly because I know you haven't got a lot of time I last year got decided to get into dahlias or dahlias Um, (laughs) yes And I do prefer dahlia, but I'll say dahlia not to sound like a bit of a... I like it. You have to dip your tone too, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I bought them at um, Clive's. You know, he has it twice a year. I bought them up there from the dahlia guy. Oh, yes, Um, yes, up at Wandon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Flowering absolutely magnificently. But I've got these, this infestation of this tiny little moth thing. And it looks, it's tiny. Yeah, it's and not white fly or something yeah, like that. No, 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 no. It, I don't know what uh, a lace moth oh, is. Is it the, is that, it the it that passion looks, hopper, passion fruit hopper? Is it doing really any damage? Wings? I don't That's the question I'm wondering. Well, if they the plants are looking up. fine, I wouldn't panic. Yeah. Because mm. they're so going to die down soon anyway. Sucking, I think it's... Well, no, I've got bud on, bud on, bud and I'm... Worried that they're sucking something out of it. So they if the cluster. plants are looking fine, then don't panic about it. Mm. Okay, so what do you think? Think what did you say? Passion hopper vine. Is it the passion hopper moth? I can never remember the name. That's got clear, um, kind of the little, um, almost looks like a brassica after the butterflies have been to it wings. Passion vine hopper. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah look, I, blue, I just... And it looks like it's got lace. It looks yeah, like a... clear wings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but they look, don't if, do too much damage. Yeah, look, some of these things, they're, they're there and they're actually a food source for something else. Yeah. So, oh, and I agree. You know, I so agree I get a bit you. worried when people go, what can I kill it with? No, yeah. no, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I and don't... if the dahlias are looking fine, they're probably not doing much harm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you don't think I think it's been a really good year for insects, oh, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, La Nina. Yeah, it's just been... Um, Yes. And you know that that in turn is good for us, quite yeah. frankly. Uh, yeah. Even mm. though even though it might knock us about a bit, uh, it's feeding up all the birds, it's feeding up all mm. the other insects, so it's it's yeah. a good thing. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. unless you can see, yeah, unless you can see any damage, yeah, I, I don't even. And even like so, that, sometimes when you see and, a bit of damage, you just cluster. Like there'd be about two hundred on them. Mm. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, why look, would they all be on there? Yeah, in the but it, look, if they're worrying you at all, just get a hose and wash them off every yeah. so often and make yeah. them feel yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I certainly wouldn't use anything yep. nasty. No, okay, that's what I was going to ask. I did, mm. didn't know whether you were going to go, oh, my God, you've got the blah. <laughs> <laughs> Call the department now. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> nah. Yeah. nah, look, I wouldn't be worrying too much about it. Dahlias or dahlias are very resistant plants or resilient oh, plants. Okay. They're great. And they will be dying down soon. Uh, um, and uh, and all these bugs yes. and things that come and go, they do quite literally come and go. So yeah, you have an yes. infestation for a while and nearly yes. everything disappears mm. again. Yep, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, now I'm happy. Thank Good. You all much. the best, Liz. Thank See you, you later. Bye. Bye. Something like that. It's often it's disappointing if they get them when they're in bud and they suck the buds yeah. and ruin the buds. Yeah. But often they're not going to do permanent damage to a no. plant. No. All right, so. guys, we've got time for one last phone call. Um, Robert from Mitcham, you've been hanging on for a while. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Uh, good morning, all. Morning. And being, uh, being a lively show this morning. Look, <laughs> yeah. uh, wife and I are uh, elderly and trying to save water and doing all of the things like that. And we often direct water from the shower and the washing machine rinse water onto the garden. Gardens, uh, a lot of big trees and shrubs and far too many pot plants. <laughs> are we doing any, any uh, potential damage? Nothing seems to be uh, being harmed by it. Look, as long as you're not using any really strong chemicals in the house that could go through the water and out into the garden, and as long as it's being spread reasonably Mm. evenly... I mean, I use all the water from our septic tank and our, and our washing water goes in there and everything goes in there and it goes through realm drains and my trees are loving it. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a particular problem there. I think with potted plants, you might not slosh it on anything yeah. particularly sensitive. Yeah, I'd probably leave it from alone from the food plants as yeah. well, particularly yeah. root veggies or something. Yeah, like off the veggie garden. But no, I mean, I it sounds like, Robert, you're doing... Your due diligence, yeah. and I often think about, you know, when, when the government won't make moves that they should make, the big picture, all these people who are dutifully bucketing out their shower yeah. water to, to do their bit. It sounds like you're doing a lovely job. Amen. Well, we're trying. Oh, good. Good, on, good you. on you, Robert. Thanks people for People say calling. I'm trying as well, but for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> good luck, Robert. Thanks for calling again. We'll catch you later. Thanks, all. all right. I have Bye. to say that. That's, that's my defining characteristic. I'm always trying. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the stuff's hitting the fan. I'm yeah. still trying. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of text messages and late calls today. Thank you for everyone for calling. Uh, there was a text message we didn't get through, Mary, with your eucalypt query. If you could ring next week or um, text in next week, that would be great. Thank you.
Um, Roger Elliott has texted in and said, Stephen, as long as we can understand each other with plant names, yeah. that is fine. Yeah, well, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. and remind yeah. us that the Cranbourne Friends have their plant sale plant on today. Sale. Oh, yes. And also next Sunday, if anyone's in Bendigo, I'm at the Sustainable Living Festival in Bendigo mm. for a, a lovely yeah. big event. And Come to Bendigo, there's an Elvis yeah. exhibition on. Yes, River. exactly. And don't forget Open Gardens Victoria, which I meant to mention earlier in the program too. They've always got things on. Go onto their website. Awesome. So much to do. Thank you for, for you both for coming in today. I'll see you all at Mifkus, I'm sure. Yes, we'll see everyone at Mifkus. Thanks for Susie for doing the phones and Liz on the socials. Have a lovely Sunday, everyone. We'll see you later.